0: building for Christ's name and for Christ's sake and for the good of his people here in Canada and just period in all areas of our life. Um, So that's the theme of the conference, the idea of how am I building something? Not just existing, not just getting by, not just not being part of something else, but how are we contributing positively? Uh, There's a lot of great speakers coming to the conference. Uh, Pastor Aaron Rock from Windsor, Pastor Jacob Raeum from uh, Waterloo. Uh, You may be also familiar with Pastor Nate Wright. They're going to be joining us and helping cast that vision plus a number of breakout speakers. So there's some things on what it looks like for the women to be building in the home, what does it look like to be building economically and with your wealth and your finances. We've got Jonathan Well joining us for that. So lots of great breakout speakers. Uh, it's going to be a, a very useful time. Even if you can't make the whole conference, obviously it's during one of the uh, work week days. Uh, we would encourage you to join along even for the evenings and for the Saturday. Uh, it's gonna be worth your time. Uh, and, and again, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned last week, this whole uh, ministry was started for the sake of trying to get the teaching of our church out beyond these walls, but primarily in mind with providing more teaching for you, more teaching for our church. So uh, please consider that and, uh, and consider joining us for that conference. There's a registration link that has been going out with the members memo for like several weeks now. If you want it sent again, Uh, either contact Megan if you don't already get the member's memo, or check it this Thursday. Last announcement, uh, before we turn our hearts to the Lord, uh, just a reminder that communion, uh, now every outside ring, sorry, the one outside ring is grape juice and everything else is wine. All right. if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Psalm 149 for our call to worship this evening. Uh, You can grab one from the pew in front of you or listen as I read. Psalm 149. Beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord, and sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise in the assembly of the godly, and let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, and make melody to him with the tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory, and let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we come to you and we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. You adorn the humble in salvation. We confess, Lord, and pray that you will never let us uh, uh, lose a moment of giving you the due praise for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That we have been ransomed and rescued from our sin, from death and from darkness into the Righteousness and peace and joy of the kingdom of heaven. And we pray, Lord, that you would impress this upon our hearts this evening as we sing your praise. We pray, Lord, you would help us to worship in spirit and truth. We pray that your spirit would raise our affections for Jesus, that we would truly gladly rejoice this evening in what you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that you would instruct us as well. We ask for Alex, who will uh, preach this evening and bring the word before us. We pray that your spirit will deliver the truth of scripture to our hearts. Prepare us to receive your truth, Lord, that we might walk in faithfulness and obedience to you. And in all these things, Lord, we ask that Jesus' name will be exalted here this evening and that he will receive glory. It is in his name we ask. Amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand with us? the ocean, loving kind, this as a flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us is the precious blood. Grace and love like Like mighty rivers pouring incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect perfect justice justice. gives us a gift.
2: Confession this evening, I'll be reading from Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Beginning in verse 1 Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities." One of the reasons we have a time in our service each week where we come before the Lord to confess our sins is because the Bible teaches that repentance is meant to be an ongoing reality in the Christian life. Repentance is not something we did at the start of our Christian life, at the start of our walk with the Lord. Repentance is an ongoing, daily, even moment-by-moment practice, a posture of life where we are constantly turning from sin and unbelief to faith and obedience by the Spirit's power. And so when we come to these times in our service, it's because we acknowledge the reality of this, the need for ongoing repentance. We acknowledge that we all come with a need to humble ourselves again, before the face of God, to confess our sins to him, to turn to him in faith, and to receive his grace and forgiveness. And not because we're flip-flopping in and out of salvation or something like that, but because sin has disrupted fellowship with God. And only through repentance, only through confession and acknowledgement and then turning in faith is that fellowship restored. Now, one of the places where we see this quite clearly, where we see what repentance looks like, is in Psalm 130. I just want to point out a couple things here. First, notice where the psalmist begins. He starts in the depths, he says, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So he, he starts in a place of turmoil and despair, kind of like a, a shipwreck victim here who's clinging to a piece of wood and being tossed around by the waves. This is the place that his sin has brought him. And so what, is, what does he do? He asks for the Lord's mercy and confesses his guilt. Verse 2 O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So he pleads for mercy. He acknowledges his guilt, but that's not all he does. Because after that, he reminds himself of the steadfast love and grace of God. Verse 4 But with you there is forgiveness. And from this point on, the psalmist plants himself in a confident hope of God's redemption and forgiveness. He goes on in verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Now where does this confidence come from? How can the psalmist be so audaciously assured that God will hear his prayer and be merciful to him. Well, it's because he knows the nature and character of God. Verse 7, with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him, plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the hope that we have in Christ this evening. With Christ, there is plentiful redemption, because when Christ died, he bore your sins to the full. All of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our iniquity and rebellion, he took it on himself, and he bore it into death. He bore it into the grave, and that's where it stays. Like the scapegoat that once a year would bear Israel's sins out into the wilderness, Christ has borne your sin into the grave, and he has made atonement that is both full and final and having died he rose in victory conquering sin and death forevermore that is the gospel and so yes we have a need to repent each day and each week but we do so the way the bible teaches us to we do so like the psalmist does here confident that god is merciful and he has supplied plentiful redemption for us through the cross and the resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our hope if we are in him this evening. And so because of this, let's come to him now to confess our sins and to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we confess that we are sinners We confess that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We confess, Lord, the insufficiency of our works to ever be able to somehow leverage ourselves into a position of favor with you. Uh, Lord, we are bankrupt in all these ways. We do not live as we ought to live each day. We do not love the things we ought to love. We do not hate the things we ought to hate. We confess, Lord, that we are Often um, selfish, we are often self absorbed, consumed with our own needs and desires, and blind to the needs and desires of others. And worst of all, Lord, we care so little for the glory of your name. And Lord, we confess, uh, as your word says, that for all these things we deserve death. We confess that the wages of sin is death. But we rejoice this evening that you put forward Christ as a propitiation for our sins, as the sacrifice that would bear the judgment that was rightfully ours, so that in place of wrath, we would receive mercy and kindness and reconciliation. Father, I pray now that you would please turn our hearts to Christ and that you would help us to see uh, the sufficiency of, of his salvation I pray, Lord, that you would shine the light of the glory of Christ into each heart here this evening, and that there would be none who fail to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, and that you would help us to follow him in obedience by the Spirit's power. So we pray that you would help us now to continue to worship in in this hope. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We come now to the point in our service where we take up the offering, and I'll invite the ushers forward. The Lord Jesus loves us, and he made himself poor that we might become rich. Uh, What better motivation could there possibly be for giving with joy than that? Uh, So as we give this evening, remember Christ, remember his love, remember his reign, and give with a cheerful heart. I'll pray, and then the ushers will pass the offering around. Father in heaven, we confess with joy that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, that you own all things, um, and that in this sense, Lord, we, we really don't own anything, but we are, as your word tells us, stewards of the blessings that you have given to us. And so, Lord, we just joyfully confess your reign over all the earth, and we pray that you would help us now to give in the joyful acknowledgement of that, and we pray and ask for your blessing Uh, upon what we do give, that you would use it to magnify your glory in the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I yeah. will yeah.
3: to you this evening acknowledging that unless you build the house we who build it labor in vain unless you watch over the city we who attempt to watch over it stay awake in vain it is vain for us to rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil For you give your beloved sleep. We come this evening and we do confess our vain anxiety and worry over things that we can't control and forsaking the responsibilities and tasks that we have been called to. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be restful builders in our homes, in our church, in our workplaces, in our community. Lord, I pray that we would not vainly strive attempting to conquer a world that has already been conquered through the crucifixion. We read in your, your word that you put the powers and principalities to open shame. We need not fear them any longer. There are many spirits. There, are, there is much darkness at work in the world today, in our culture. And yet, you have, not just in a theoretical way, but in a very real way, overcome. The war has been won. We are not the struggling slaves attempting to confront an enemy that is far stronger than us. Lord, we simply rest in the labor that you have already achieved. But Lord, I pray that this would not lead us to complacency. There are still enemies. There are still strongholds of darkness. And yet all of this is meant to give us courage. Not to incline us to carelessness or, or lethargy but that we would speak and so live and so build and do all things in light of your finished work. For you were not only crucified, you were not only buried, but you rose again victoriously and you now reign in heaven. And we take confidence and trust in this reality. Lord, we thank you for your great and precious promises contained in your word. Forgive us for not giving ourselves to the meditation and memorization of your word. How much of our lives are bleak and barren simply because we have not um, been in your word. We have not been directed and led and convicted and comforted by your spirit that only works through your word. Lord, I pray In the few days of a new year, Lord, I pray that we would give 2024 as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you. Jacob said it well, nothing we have is our own. Our families, our jobs, our most precious things are not our own and at any moment can be taken from us. If we are going into the next year hoping against hope that we can cling on to everything and keep it close and safe, we are deceiving ourselves. The world is not a safe place. It has never been a safe place. The only safety is to be found in the refuge of Christ and nowhere else. Lord we pray for those in our midst this evening who are perhaps lying awake at night eating this bread of anxious toil. Uh, For those who are facing various trials and sufferings. We do think of our dear sister Maureen and uh, and her husband now back in the hospital. Lord, we pray that you would be a close comfort to her and a spirit of conviction to her husband. Lord, we pray that you would give the doctors wisdom and that they would be able to fix whatever is wrong with with Dan Lord, but we do lift him before you, you know, his heart, you know, the frame of his soul, And we simply lift him to you, Lord, to do the work. It is tempting for us to want those we care about just to be safe and just to be secure. And yet, what about a danger that drives the sinner to the place of Christ? Well, for these, we must give you thanks, even for these severe providences. Um. How many of us, Lord, would have ever tasted and seen that you are good had we just been allowed to continue on our path of of complacency? Um, We pray for others, Lord, perhaps even here this evening uh, who are facing private turmoil and trials. Lord, I pray if these are not yours, I pray that um, they would stop resisting you resisting your spirit and indeed at the end of the day no one can resist you and that is a wonderful truth because if we were just left to ourselves and our sin we would we would never choose you we would always flee from you we would always run in the way of the blindness of our deceit so we thank you for your gracious intervention At so many points in our life, we can look back and see how you have intervened and saved us from our own ruin and sabotage. Lord, we lift up our church to you. We pray that the work that you have begun here, you would continue to do, that you would continue to glorify your name, that you would continue to do the work of building up your people, uh, that we would... um, Uh, put ourselves in the midst of accountable relationships um, that we would seek to to warn each other as as the days grow darker uh, as the deceits abound that we would um, seek to truly love one another. A love that is honest and that seeks for the best of others and that does not walk in envy. Lord, your spirit must produce these fruits within us, in our midst. We long to be a place that is a refuge for sinners and a, um, a place of encouragement for the saints. And you must do this. You must continue to sustain the work that you have begun. Lord, would you um, glorify your name? In the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, in our midst, we pray all these things in your name.
1: Is all creation, creation growing?
0: It is. It is. It isn't a new creation growing?
1: It is. Isn't glory. Is. Yeah.
4: you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to resume our study through the book of Proverbs. I'll be in chapter 5, and I will read verses 1 to 23. We will be focusing on verses 1 to 6 this evening, the introduction, but I'll read from Proverbs 5, verses 1 to 23. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of shale. She does not ponder the path of life. And her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is truth. And we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth, that you would expose, as your word does, the illusion, the consequences of sin, and the beauty and sufficiency of our Savior. It's in him his name that we pray, and amen. I'm going to focus this evening on verses 1 to 6, which serve as the introduction to a homily or a lecture, uh, an exhortation that the father in the book of Proverbs gives to his son. Um, We could divide this exhortation into an introduction in verses 1 to 6, a lesson in verses 7 to 20, and a conclusion in verses 21 to 23. So we'll look at those successively. But this evening, I want to focus in particular on the father, And his role in his son's life in helping him walk through the minefield of sin. I want to um, look at how fathers are responsible to walk through the minefield of sin with their children. I want to look at how fathers expose the illusion of sin. And lastly, I want to look at how fathers expose the consequences of sin. It's no secret that our day, um, we live at a time, at least in the West, that is, act, that is absolutely devastatingly overrun uh, with sexual sin. Um, it's almost just the air we breathe, the water that we swim in, and I think if we are to look beneath the surface at causes for this, I mean, you could blame technology. Uh, certainly there are factors which have made this more likely. But I think one of the greatest factors at the bottom of this is that fathers have not been equipped uh, to walk with their children through the minefield of sin, especially in this area. There are a lot of reasons for this. I mean, we could, we could note that I mean, even for me, I'm only 37, uh, but my, the average age now that children are exposed to explicit material is like 10. Um, you know, even, even for me, the first exposure was still paper. <laughs> Literally, it was paper. Some kid at school cut out a piece of paper from a magazine and showed it to me. It's like there was a barrier to access uh, to evil things, perverted things. Uh, with phones, that there is no barrier, and I mean, I'm still amazed when I run into families, often not Christians, but who just I see, you know, ten year olds walking around with cell phones, and I just think you, you know, you you are, you are naive to the point of culpability here, um, for a variety of reasons. Like even if you think you have all the software on it, and you look at whatever it is that that. That is a window into a world that could absolutely ruin your child in a lot of ways. So certainly we live at a unique time. Like I, I, will, I will grant that. But I think that we need to trust that the scriptures give us the tools to actually help us help our children live faithfully in this day. And if there's one message of hope that I can give you from this is that this has always been a problem. And this is why the book of Proverbs talks about this. This is addressed to his son. Um, he's at marriageable age, obviously. And this is something that he is potential, a trap that he could fall into. It's referencing another woman, a married woman. And, uh, you know, it's talking about the nature of her and her sin as well. But one of the things we need to take away that's implicit in this is that there is not only the expectation, but there is the ability by God's grace to help our children. Um, so I, think, I think a lot of people feel that it is, uh, sin is inevitable, um, and we shouldn't have that kind of attitude, uh, nor should we have uh, an, an attitude of kind of uh, naivety and um, recoiling or acting as if there are no dangers in the world. We're going to look at that, too. The Father avoids this ditch. Um, but the theme of my sermon is how a father walks with his child through the minefields of sin. And this, this is one of our fundamental duties as fathers. Um, our children will grow up to live in a world, and to be honest, in this respect, a, a deeply perverted, scary place. A place where your neighbors, there is, there's no shared sexual ethic. You know, it's like even for me growing up, the things that I engaged in were taboo. Like there was a social expectation and you were breaking that social expectation. But there's an inversion now. It's actually like there's a social expectation that you will be a pervert and that you'll do perverted things and that you'll support perverted people doing perverted things. And if you're not, you are a problem. And, there, and look, that is a reality. But even so, Christ came to the world to save sinners. And he sanctifies us by the truth. And whether we ourselves have been ravaged in this way or whether our children have, that God can overcome all of this. And this is an area of life uh, that Jesus came to die and to rise and to ascend to heaven to reign over. And absolutely he can. And so we need to have that confidence As well, so to begin, I want to look at specifically how this father uh, leads his son through the minefield of sin. Verse one, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. The big idea is that life is a minefield of sin and temptation. And the father's role is to lead their son through it. I have referenced several times Alfred the Great because I read a biography of him last year. There was a really good biography by Ben Merkel. It's super short. I recommend it. it moves quickly, covers a lot of historical facts in a good narrative form. Um, but he's known for many things. But his successful defense against the Vikings was necessary for all of the other accomplishments. So everything that he went on to do as far as religious and education reform, as far as uh, defenses, as far as infrastructure, uh, you know, law, you know, transforming the laws of England, these types of things, all of this could not have happened if he wasn't first successful in defending the land against its greatest threat, and that was the Vikings. And the Vikings, I mean, it's weird to watch shows about Vikings now, and, and they are pretty brutal, actually, but the Vikings were brutal. They're not to be, they're not to be uh, admired. Uh, they were a brutal, bloodthirsty, um, barbaric people. And he was kind of, you know, they, they would go after the easiest targets, the monasteries. So they would look, they would intentionally look for the point of least resistance, and they would overwhelm it with violence, And they would loot and pillage. This is literally what they do. Uh, You know, they would form treaties and lie about it intentionally because in their worldview, it's about winning, it's about power. A lie is not a bad thing. If a lie can allow you the upper hand, then of course you're going to do that. It's a strategic advantage. Um, And so he was tasked with defending his people against uh, these brutal invaders. He didn't inherit an empire, but he built a kingdom And one of the takeaways from this book was that he led through courage, wisdom, and skill. In the biography I read of him, it noted that the role of the king and the noblemen, not just the king, uh, was in battle, was in the shield wall. And as you can imagine, the shield wall is literally the front line. It's where the two opposing forces clashed. It's where the fighting actually happened. In hand-to-hand combat, you can only kill what you can reach. And so the people on the front lines were really the only ones fighting for most of the time and defending against, against uh, attack. And it was a role and responsibility of the king and the expectation on behalf of the people that he would be in the shield wall and that the noblemen would be in the shield wall. The battle was lost or won on the skill and the courage and the endurance of the shield Wall. Repeatedly, see, we see if the wall falls, whether through you know event, loss of numbers, overwhelmed, or through loss of courage, uh, the battle's over at that point. And if the wall holds, the battle might yet be won. And for our purposes, we have to note that the expectation that those in authority of those in authority was that they were part of the wall. They were not permitted to stay home to send an army to do their fighting, nor even to stand at a safe distance and give orders and directions. They had to lead by example. They had to face the enemy themselves and overcome their own fears. God calls fathers to be the kind of men who lead from the front. The kind of men our children look to in the midst of their own battle against Satan and sin and temptation. And this is perhaps the most important practical point of everything I'm going to say. That we need to have a kind of relationship with our God, and we need to have a kind of relationship with our children, that when they go through the minefield of sin that they will go through, that we are the first ones they go to as humans. Not the last. And this, there's so much that could be said about this. Um, but this is, this, is a, this is the kind of relationship that we need to cultivate. Not the singing in the car, not the happy family dinners alone. Those are great. But we need a kind of relationship that when they are faced with great dangers and great threats and God forbid great failures, that, that they know that we are there with them. We don't stand back and tell them what to do from a safe distance. We have to observe from this text that it's the father who leads his son through the minefield of sin. Too many of us have abandoned our children to walk through that minefield alone or even led them into it ourselves through our own sin. But the father in Proverbs does neither. He is a guide to his son. He directs his son to give attention to his, use the word my, wisdom, and incline his ear to his, using the word my, understanding. This is unique. One commentator notes that this call is not simply to follow his words. This is important but the substance and end result of his words. In other words, he's not up on the hill directing things. He's in the shield wall. Saying, follow me. Fight this way. Follow my path. This is what the father is saying to the son. We can make several observations from this principle. Um, Fathers must be characterized by fighting sin. We must as Owen said, daily be standing on the belly of our lusts. Uh, we can't lead our children into battle if we're not in the fight or if we're constantly losing the fight. Uh, we must, by God's grace, get in the fight. And by God's grace, by His Spirit and by His Word, be putting to death the works of the flesh. We are either living or we're dying. There's no coasting in the Christian life. We are either putting to death the works of the flesh by the power of the Spirit, or we are walking in the flesh. There's only two ways you can live every single day. There's only in the Spirit, and according to the Spirit's desires, and according to the Spirit's words, or in the flesh, according to your sinful desires and passions and old way of thinking. But That's the only way to be. We're either in the Spirit and winning the fight, or in the flesh and losing the fight. Perhaps the biggest paradigm shift that needs to happen for us as men is to realize that every day, every moment is a battle. And we are either fighting the battle with the tools and the weapons that God gives us, and we will therefore make progress in that. Or we are losing the battle, even if it doesn't seem like it. You know? Even if it's you're listening to this, you're saying it's like, well, I'm I'm not having an affair, and I'm not doing this, and I'm avoiding that. And it's like, okay, well, that's good. Um, but it doesn't mean we're actually making ground. We are not actually resisting. So fathers need to be characterized as those who know how to fight sin. The, Jesus Christ tells us, and we have confession every Sunday. He says that we need to daily ask for the forgiveness of our sins. And First John tells us, whoever says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. So there's no perfect fathers. And in fact, men who act and pretend as though they have no sin to confess are losing. (laughs) You are losing. If you are not aware of sin in your life and you are not aware of your need for forgiveness and that you can't honestly, at the end of the day, pray like Jesus taught you, Father, forgive us our sins. If you don't know any, then you are being overrun by them. Because you do have them. I have them. We have them. So this is not, this is not a, a call to perfection in the sense that uh, the illusion of perfection. We need to seek after the holiness without which none will see the Lord. We need to perfu- pursue Christ. We need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect while acknowledging that sin remains. And so a man who is in a fight against sin is not a sinless man. There's only been one. His name is Jesus Christ. But a man in the fight against sin will be tender-hearted, will be broken-hearted, will confess it to God, and will seek to put it to death by the Spirit. Um, true battle is costly. Uh, there's no one who leaves the shield wall without wounds. Um, any man who shows up bragging about his his epic you know, victories at war without a scar, you have to doubt if he's ever been. And so the same is true of Christian men in our fight against sin. Um, So I'm not saying that fathers are perfect. In fact, the opposite. Fathers acknowledge their shortcomings, their weaknesses, their proclivities. And this is actually part of our fight. Um, Second, fathers must be present with children in their sin, by refusing to deal with sin explicitly, we leave our children susceptible to its illusions. Um, we shouldn't reject our children when they sin. We should lead them to Christ. And we warn them beforehand repeatedly so that they can avoid these pitfalls. But the big takeaway from my first point is that we need to be present with our children. We need to lead them intentionally through the minefield of sin, How do we do this? We do this in two ways. We expose the deadly illusion of sin and we expose the consequence of sin. That's what the father does for his son. Um, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. The strategy of the father to protect his son from sin is first to expose the true nature, and then the consequence of sin. One of the most basic principles of war is to know your enemy. Whether you are a general of an army or a professional fighter or a coach, uh, you cannot wage a successful campaign without some knowledge of your opponent. I mean, you might get lucky a few times, but all things being equal, um, you won't. And so it has been widely acknowledged in practice, that you need to gain knowledge, you need to do research, you need to consider their tactics, their strategies, their strengths, their weaknesses. The same is true in our battle against sin. We must be able to see through the illusion. As in all combat, there is an attempt on the part of sin to camouflage itself, to hide its true nature and intention, to not engage in open Warfare. There's perhaps no sin like sexual sin that does this to present itself as the exact opposite of what it is to appear sweet and alluring and harmless, but in reality be deadly. This is what the Bible refers to in the New Testament as the deceitfulness of sin. And one of just the practical points to make is we need to teach our children that sin is always masked as something else, almost always. That's why we give into it. <laughs> pretending to be something that it's not, from Satan and his original temptations, but ever since. Uh, sin is always, and then there's a sinful desire in us to justify our sin by pretending it's not what it is, by explaining it away or pretending that it's something else. Um, we, we also, a practical application here, as as fathers we need to actually teach our children about the nature of evil uh, one of I, I mean i mean one of the one of the indications that we have moved away from scripture is that we are we have no idea what we're looking at when we look at evil uh, paul says in 2 corinthians 2:11 we would not be outwitted by satan for we are not ignorant of his designs Why are you not outwitted by Satan? He explicitly gives a reason for that. And it's because they are not ignorant of his designs. They know the play. They know how he works. In this context, it's working through unforgiveness. Just before this text, he tells them to forgive one another. Uh, we know how Satan works. When you give in to the root of bitterness, it defiles many. When you refuse to forgive your brother and sister, when you refuse to be kind and tender-hearted towards one another, forgiving one another as you've been forgiven in Christ, when you reject that, when you hold on to that, when you refuse to forgive them their de- our, us our debts as we forgive our debtors, when you don't do that, Satan has a stronghold. And so one of the things we recognize in our warfare against the enemy is that we need to be constantly not only asking forgiveness, but extending forgiveness. But all of this is part of our understanding of how the enemy works. We're not ignorant of the way he works. And so many Christians today, sadly, with more access than we have ever had to teaching the scripture and so many translations and accessible volumes, we have no idea about the nature of evil. And therefore, you have no idea about your enemy. How are you fighting? How, how are you fighting an enemy that you don't know is real and that you don't know how they work? The, the, the goal of the Christian home, there's a tension here, okay? And this has, this has implications to our parenting. That Now, keep in mind, the son here, that is at his development stage, is, is either close to or at marriageable age, okay? So there's an age-appropriate nature to this as well. But no, the kids should not leave your home and get into the world and be like, what is going on? I wasn't told about this. And I don't mean you need to expose them to every perverted thing that there is in the universe. No, you couldn't do that. But our children, part of our responsibility as parents is to teach our children about the nature and the reality of evil. So they know their enemy when they see it and they can overcome with God's help. And too many Christians home spends 18 years insulating their children from every bad thing in the world. And people then go out into the world and they are completely overrun because they haven't actually been taught to stand against evil. They haven't actually been taught to see evil for what it is. And they haven't had years of practice with you fighting evil and winning against evil with God's help. We want our kids to fail in our home. Right? If they're going to sin, and they are going to sin, we want our kids to sin and then be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and be reconciled to us and to teach them and to train them to overcome their sin by the Word and the Spirit of God. We want them to do that while they're with us, not figure out 10 years later after the wreckage and the ruin. So I hope you noticed when I was reading this about the father's explicit description of the forbidden woman. There is no... um, We're going to go into this more as the weeks go on. But this is a tension you need to wrestle through as parents. Um, Obviously, there's an an exposure that is not good for your kids, and there's a developmental element to this. Uh, But we need to be frank with our children. And... Um, The Scripture, I mean, it's funny. Unbelievers read the Bible and think it's, like, very dark and crazy. And you would think, talking to Christians, it's just full of life verses for a happy day. Like, the the Bible is a a dark book. The the Bible is an extremely dark book. And one of the functions of the Bible is to lay bare the heart of men. (laughs) There is, there is no secrets after you read this book. There's nowhere to hide. You can't read this book and go, it's like, well, I wasn't in there. You know, it's like, oh, I guess, you know, I'm not one of those guys. Or It doesn't really speak to me. The Word of God, and this is why we avoid the Word of God, because our works are darkness, the Bible says, and we don't want to come to the light. You don't want to stand under the, under what it says, um, that, that everything that we do is before the eyes of the Lord. It says at the end of this chapter 5. And we don't like that. Anyways, the point I'm saying is that the Bible uh, teaches us and instructs us into the nature of evil. And the reason this is important is because evil is deceptive. And evil always pretends to be good. And your children need to not listen to those lies. And they need to hear someone say it's for your safety and think, get away from me. You call me. Like they actually need to know that, that. Wait a second. Bad people say good things. Hot women aren't good wives. Good times doesn't necessarily mean good life. You need to know that. You need to have a category for that in your mind. Fathers must know thine enemy. Not only are we in the fight, fathers, but we know the enemy. We are not those who are outwitted by Satan because we are ignorant of his design. So knowledge is a crucial component of standing against him. Um, and in this instance, knowledge about the illusion... So what does the father do here? What knowledge does he possess? The father knows that sin is an illusion. And he exposes the illusion to his son. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. She is enticing. She is pleasing She is desirable, her lips and her words. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. One of the greatest gifts we can give our children is the gift of exposing the deceitfulness of sin, to demonstrate that sin's promises are in the end empty. See, this is is the fundamental problem of never talking about sin and evil in your home. People who just run away from sin and evil and bury their head in the sand like ostriches, you know you're telling your kid that sin is actually more desirable than Christ. That Jesus is is real and Jesus is true, but don't think about that stuff because if you just heard about that, you would be tempted to go there. But if you actually believe that Jesus Christ is as satisfying and is true and desirable as you say that he is, then why, do, why are you afraid of him standing next to sin? Well, it raises the ugly reality that perhaps we don't believe that. Our goal is not to keep everything away from our children that might entice them. It's to show them how those things ultimately are fleeting illusions and deceptions. You want to talk about getting rich and pursuing a life of wealth over all other things? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about money. You want to talk about messing around with someone? Let's talk about that, and where that goes. Let's talk about the end of that road together. You want to talk about violence? You want to talk about your desire to rule over people? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about where that goes. We can talk about all of these things because we believe that Jesus Christ ultimately is a superior pleasure and a greater treasure. So he points out the illusion and the deceitfulness of sin. She may appear a certain way and she may appear desirable, but she's actually not what she appears. In the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Fathers expose the deceitfulness of the enemy. And lastly, fathers point out the consequences of sin. Five, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. There is no such thing, and fathers know this there is no such thing as harmless sin. All sin has consequences in this life and in the next. I, I grew up with this. So many people around me had this mentality. It's all, you know, harmless or it's innocent fun. That's a phrase I heard a lot, even from parents, right? It's innocent fun. And we treat sex like this in our culture as if nothing is happening. And I mean, Paul confronts this, you know, when he's talking to the church in Corinthians about um, engaging with prostitutes and he says you know our body is a temple of the holy spirit and one who engages with them becomes one with them that this whole idea that it's just the body that there's no connection there's nothing else going on is totally wrong he said there is stuff going on there are deep ties that are being made there's profound union that is occurring and you need to not treat it like nothing but we tend to do this with sin whether it's lying and stealing or hurting or whatever it is, it's not as serious as God says. This is the original lie. You will not surely die. And this is what we all tend to do in our own lives and we do for each other. We downplay the consequences. But he says to his son, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. The father warns his son by showing him The two consequences of sin. One is death. The wages of sin is death. And that ought to sober us all the time. The wage of any sin. Not just the accumulated consequence of all of our actions put on a scale, but the righteous consequence of a single action is death. By one man's disobedience... Sin entered the world. One act of disobedience. And by, one, and by one man's obedience, the world is saved. So we take sin seriously because it leads to death. But notice what else he says. He mentions a moral blindness as a consequence of sin. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. And look at this. She does not know it. The scary and devastating consequence of sin in this life is that we become completely blind to it. A moral inversion even takes place where those, where we are capable of calling good, evil, and evil good. Now, it's true that all sin is worthy of death and that, um, you know, there's, in one sense, all sin is equal. But it isn't true that, because that is true, that all sin, there, there's no extra consequences to keeping on sinning. There absolutely is. Uh, when you see someone who's been enslaved for 20 years into something, uh, they're, they're, they're not the same person they were 20 years before. And there's a hollowness. There's a dehumanizing effect and it's because um god is not mocked and we were meant to live for his glory we were meant to love him and love others and we refuse to live do that we literally disintegrate morally speaking and this woman is going around behind the back of her husband seeking to entice others and um her way is leading to death, and she doesn't even know it. And this is something that we ought to take seriously in our life, because the more that you give in to sin, the less that you feel you're giving in to sin. The more that you give in to sin, the less you care that you're not fighting it. We need to pray that the Lord gives us a tender conscience, that so we don't, as um, we read in the New Testament, become seared, right? That's the way that the New Testament talks about our conscience What can happen to our conscience, our moral compass can become seared. So just like how a piece of meat, when it's seared, won't let the juices out. A conscience that's seared won't let the truth in. Can God overcome everything? Yeah. That's a bad place to be. Instead, what we need to do is teach our children um, that sin is temporal pleasure, as the father does, with lasting pain. And righteousness is temporal pain for lasting pleasure. Yes, her lips are sweet. And honey is sweet. But eventually, it'll turn to wormwood. And eventually, that bitterness will turn to death. Are we telling them that there's no pleasure to be had in life apart from Jesus Christ? No, but it is all a deception. It is all temporal And it all comes with a consequence. So we need to train up our children their entire lives to see the temporal nature of the pleasures of sin. We don't lie about it. We don't run away from it. We don't hide it. We say, yes, there's something there to be desired, but it is sinful, it is wrong, and ultimately it will not last. And he goes, we'll explain in further weeks, he directs his son towards a better pleasure. Not only God, but your wife. And the wife and the forbidden woman are, are contrasted with one another. Don't be satisfied with this. Be satisfied with this. God's way is always better, always lasting, always greater pleasure. But we need to train up our children. We need to walk this way in our life and understand that the path of righteousness often comes with temporal pain. Um, you have not yet resisted, Paul says, sin to the point of shedding blood. Uh, resisting temptation is a grind. Resisting temptation is actually a death. It's a death to yourself, it's a death to your desires and your passions and your fleeting happiness that you would pursue apart from Jesus Christ. It's a death, and it feels like a death. But on the other side of death is life and joy. In happiness and peace and a clean conscience. We need to teach our children by the temporal pleasure of sin and the lasting pleasure of Christ. This is ultimately the antidote to everything. You can't you can't shelter your children indefinitely, you can't keep them away from sin, but you have to show them that it's a lie, and you have to show them even more importantly the truth. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is absolutely worth every ounce of pain of their resistance. And we have to live as though that's true for us. That Christ is worth every ounce of pain of our resistance. Against ourselves and our desires. Against Satan. Against the world and its desires. We need to be, um, as the writer in Hebrews says in 11.26, someone who considers The reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Because that kind of faith is not satisfied with the hottest woman, with the greatest riches, with the most power, with the greatest respect. We see all those things, and we see nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that you can give me. Nothing that you can offer me that compares to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we pray that you would help us in our fight against sin. We pray, especially for each and every child here, that they would, even in spite of our own weaknesses and shortcomings, that they would know the power of Christ, that they would know the pleasure of knowing Christ, that they would see through the deceitfulness of sin, that they would have wisdom. Pray for all the fathers in this room, whether we have fought faithfully or whether we have failed, Lord, that you would strengthen our hands for battle. Strengthen our hands for war. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to take the Lord's Supper now. This is for those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection in their place for their sins. If you trust in him, then I welcome you. We are going to have the ushers come forward now and pass it around. And we will hold on to it. I'll come up and pray and we will receive it together. pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his body, which was broken for us. And his blood, which was shed for us. The penalty for our sins. For pursuing fleeting pleasures At the expense of the lasting pleasure of glorifying you. We thank you that through his death and resurrection we can live. We pray that you would strengthen us for our fight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat and drink remembrance of him.
0: may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you let's close in singing the doxology together (laughs)
3: Yeah. <laughs> So.
2: Okay, it's not mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the one I the incident. I yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about this building this morning, that the easy things are uh, the us through. thing. it's
3: definitely I made a made of yeah. there, right?
1: Like,